0: This is the Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, Email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now today's podcast episode. Britt, how are you?
1: Good. How are you, Bill?
2: I'm doing awesome. Uh, life is good. Here we are, another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast, and uh, this one another was episode, uh, your
1: office. Your your office looks great. Yeah, this thanks. You've got behind you all your books out.
2: Yeah, the got to work on some lighting. that you. I
1: pod- Yeah, but real hardcore podcasters always have a book, a, a wall of books behind them to show how wise they are. So oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And if we well turn it, oh, if we turn
2: it, there's there's more books, and oh, it just goes and yeah, goes and look, goes. Yeah, look
1: at all that wisdom.
2: Oh, look at it. Yeah, <laughs> about half of those I think are red. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what's uh,
2: what's new and exciting with you? What's going on in your world?
1: Yeah, I, I've been seeing a lot of people in spiritual direction. A lot of them find me through this podcast. And so that's been really great to awesome. be able to talk to a lot of these listeners who will hear something and want to reach out to me to talk about something. And mm-hmm. I've really been uh, enjoying that. And so um, we also have some emails about people that oh, I listened to this, or I heard this person, or I read this book. Can you invite them on the podcast? And Bill and I are chasing all those down to, to get the guests that you really want to see and the conversations you really want to have on this podcast. So I've been really enjoying doing spiritual direction with a lot of the people who listen to this podcast. And we just, Bill and I are just so excited for all the people that we have lined up in the coming year to come have these really cool conversations.
2: Yeah, I was just, I can't remember what, what was I doing? I was watching, oh, it's a a TV show on Netflix called Love is Blind. And the idea is that they take Mm. people, the men don't get to see the women, the women don't get to see the men. It's a bunch of uh, heterosexual people. They go into these pods where they don't get to see the other person, but they get to talk in long conversations, get to know each other. And then if you propose to somebody and they say yes, then you get to move on to the main portion of the show where for four weeks or six weeks, you get to now see the person after you're engaged and spend six weeks prior to your wedding to see if you can really make it work. And it is really interesting to watch all of the social interactions. And you're talking about coaching. There's so it's, it's often easy when you're on the outside looking in at these relationships to go like, Ooh, that was unhealthy. Ooh, that wasn't a good way to handle it. And uh, I really think there are ways in which, and again, it's part of the Almost Awakened podcast, there are ways in which to equip human beings so that they can be softer with each other, more understanding of the complexities of being a human being, more understanding of their own shadows inside, more um, more interested in what what ways in which you show up in a world, bump into somebody else so that you can maybe figure out how to navigate that better and my wife and I watched the show and we're constantly talking about these relationships going on in the show and these people who seem to be really wise. There's this one guy, he's 31 years old and he just super soft and handles everything with wisdom. When there's some kind of conflict, he knows how to take a pause. Um, And then there are other people in the show who aren't doing very good at all. And uh, I wish, Mm -hmm. I wish there was this kind of programming that was part of, how we educate people to be better human beings. So anyway, Mm.
1: I love this idea of like, I can only meet you as deeply as you've met yourself. Right. Mm. So you can tell by talking with someone like, Oh, you haven't met your shadow yet. No, no. (laughs) I can't meet you there, but, but I can meet you somewhere else. You know, I can meet you in another place. And so I'm always kind of aware of that when I talk with people, but anyway,
2: I love it. So what do you got for us, my friend?
1: Okay, I'm really excited today. Today we are going to do The Hero's Journey, and I'm excited for two reasons. One of the reasons is I'm super nerdy, which we will explore in this episode, and I'm much more nerdy than Bill, so we're going to talk about some nerdy shows that I really get into. Um, But the other reason that I'm really excited is that a lot of the work that I do in Spiritual Direction revolves around how to rewrite your story, especially how to Mm. rewrite your sacred story. And in fact, that's really what spiritual directors do is they help you to write your sacred story. Like, Mm. what is your story? What is your sacred path? And they kind of, without knowing, they don't write it for you. They don't say, this is what you should do, or here's some models like a therapist does they really just hold your hand as and help you kind of write your sacred story
0: Mm.
1: so i refer to the hero's journey a lot in the kind of work that i do and it was a part of my training program to really understand uh, the mythology and the archetypes around the hero's journey so we're gonna there's seven elements of this story and we're just gonna outline them and just kind of talk about for bill personally and for me personally how that's resonated in our lives and uh, so I invite anyone who's listening to just really key into what is my sacred story? When did this happen for me as we go through all these things? And it's, it's gonna be a fun little journey.
2: Mm, love
1: it. All right, you ready? Okay, yeah, let's do it. So this starts with Joseph Campbell. He's a mythologist. He's born in 1904. He passes away in the 80s. A mythologist. That sounds made he up. He catalogs a mythologist. It's, <laughs> it, it does sound made up.
2: <laughs> and he's an expert on the made up.
1: It does sound made up. I would, I would say, like, I don't know if anyone remembers the beginning of, oh, what's that show. What's the show with Tom Hanks where he's going after the relics and the Jesus and... Oh, oh um, goodness! What's that show? He's yeah. a symbologist. Dan Brown.
2: Yeah, no, no, no. I'm Come on, now. members
1: who are watching.
2: Da Vinci Code. Dan Is that Brown.
1: The what's it called? Da Vinci Code. So yeah. at the beginning of the Da Vinci Code, yeah, this guy, he's a symbologist, right? And he gives this presentation <laughs> about symbology throughout history. So that would be like something like I imagine Joseph Campbell doing. He's looking at myths and symbols across history. Something like that. So he, but he catalogs a specific kind of story, which is heroes in cultures across time and across culture, cultures that don't touch each other, right? And then he comes across this kind of what's called a monomyth, which is something is happening over and over in all of these cultures, which kind Mm. of tells us that there's something deeply human happening here. Something that's embedded into our, into our brains, really into our subconscious. And so some people like George Lucas will study Joseph Campbell directly and he'll say, yeah, star Wars. I studied Joseph Campbell and I modeled the story after a lot of the elements. So some people will study Joseph Campbell directly and produce art or, um, theater or movies based on what he came up with. And then some people just say, I've never heard of him, but I still wrote the story in the same way that he outlined because it's just kind of written into our code. There's this almost deeply genetic grand story that keeps showing up in every single Disney movie over and over and over and over. And so we're trying to dig into like, what is this story that we all keep resonating with over and over And so we're gonna dive into what's called the hero's journey. And the hero's journey always starts with, and this is the first one, an ordinary beginning. We never start with someone in the middle of their journey with magical powers, it's always ordinary. So it's this would be Harry Potter is, he doesn't have a wand yet, he's in a cupboard under the stairs, right? This is very ordinary. Bilbo is in the Shire. We don't do adventures here, they're not welcome. Luke is a moisture farmer, just like something super ordinary. Um, Peter Parker is just this kind of lanky, awkward high school kid. And so the question is, why does all the story, why do all these stories, it resonates with us when it starts with the ordinary. So why does the ordinary relate to us?
2: You know, for me, yeah, it's, it's so very few of us are born into significance, right? Most of us feel unseen. We feel insignificant. And we crave this human belonging, we crave to do something special and contributing something to the greater planet. But instead we find ourselves in a system that keeps us busy, we're unable to get ourselves off the hamster wheel. It's this idea that all of us are in the ordinary world. And so the superheroes and the people who do uh, the great adventures and the folks who do extraordinary things, I think the reason this is so powerful is because all of us start off in that ordinary place. At least most of us do. There are, I think there's a few people who are born into prominence, but most of us aren't. And we all crave something bigger. And I think the lesson in the Joseph Campbell beginning here of an ordinary beginning is that, Hey, all of us are ordinary, but all of us have the potential sometime in our life to do extraordinary things.
1: I think the interesting thing, too, is that is that we all when we're reading Harry Potter or whatever the story is, this is especially true for like teen kind of novels, you know, where you're just kind of an ordinary kid. There's always this sense that we resonate with this character because we're also ordinary. We're in this ordinary place, but we know that we're more than what we have become. Like we know that there's something special about us. And so it's interesting when we read a story, you know, you can have 500 people read a story and they say, which character do you resonate with? Oh, I'm the ordinary one that people underestimate who has something special that people don't see. And it's like, we can't, all be that person, but we do all feel like we are because we're in kind of our ordinary lives, but feeling like we're something maybe more or that what makes us special, not everybody sees. Right. And yeah. so it just relates to all of us.
2: When, when I was a little kid um, I would take a, I, my, my favorite TV show was uh greatest American hero, which was about this ordinary guy. He was a teacher in a school and he happens to be out in the desert one day when an alien ship gives him uh, like a, a box that's got a magic cape inside and an instruction manual. Well, he loses the instruction manual and he's left to figure out all his superpowers on his own. And so I love the show. And I would I would put this red towel around my neck with a clothespin for my mom's laundry. And I would get up on top of chairs and I would jump off and try to fly. And in my head, I knew I could fly someday. Like I knew that if I just practiced, I could do it. And I think when we, when we see joseph campbell's um the hero's journey every time we see it played out in whatever movie books tv shows whatever it is it starts off with that ordinary person because each of us can see ourselves as you're pointing out see ourselves in that ordinary character and you wouldn't think on the front end that they have the ability to do anything special but then life happens opportunities come uh things things uh, come along that our invitations to do more and the process begins. And so I think each of us have a chance and we'll get into this as we talk about this, uh, this hero's journey, but each of us will get the chance in our life, even among the average things we do to do things that involve the, uh, the hero's journey.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that stories that start, you can't start out with a story of, i am the greatest wizard of all time or i understand all of my powers you know i'm i'm at the end here you know i'm at the top of the game when the story starts there we just have nothing to resonate with right because i'm not at the top of the universe here i don't you know, and it's it's this sense that I can only relate to you if you start in a cupboard under the stairs, because I know what that feels like, you know, especially for teenagers, all all the, you know, kind of young adult novels, they all start with, you know, where you're just an awkward high school kid and then something happens. So that's the next thing that happens is the call to adventure. So this would be in Harry Potter and Al flies in and drops a letter. Something unusual has happened. Something out of the ordinary has happened. Luke is cleaning R2-D2, just ordinary cleaning of a a droid and comes across this message. Obi-Wan Kenobi, please help me from Princess Leia. Um, Gandalf tells Frodo the ring cannot stay here or Bilbo, you know, is told we need we need a burglar for this adventure. Peter Parker gets bitten by a spider in the Hunger Games. um, Katniss's sister, Prim, gets chosen. And so she volunteers. So in this moment, there's no map. There's no plan. Just something unusual happens. Something out of the ordinary.
2: Yeah, I feel like so many of us are afraid to take chances. And we are most of us, I think, are pre-programmed to play it safe, to play conservative. And I often think the hero's journey is there to teach us to be braver, to take an opportunity, to take a chance, that that what makes society uh, a collection of people great is that there is um, those among us who do great things in all these different platforms or venues. There are the artists among us, those who write music or paint paintings, Uh, write a play or a movie. There are those who do courageous things. They lead soldiers into battle or um, overcome great odds. And I think the hero's journey is in the collective consciousness because in each of our lives, there are opportunities that come along and maybe we're predisposed to turning those down and playing it safe. And this is this entry into the collective consciousness to say, hey, take a chance, do something great. Maybe it'll fail and maybe you'll fail 10 times before you nail it out of the park. And, and I think it's so easy to give up on ourselves. Um, it feels as though this story that runs in so many stories is reminding us that we ought to take opportunities when they come and that we do have the capability as ordinary people to do something pretty incredible, um, when the moment happens. And, and I'll also add, I think some of us, I think all of us get some opportunities in our life, maybe a handful. And some of them we ignore some of them we do and we fail. And then maybe eventually we really succeed greatly at something. I'm always impressed by these inventors out there who've invented like 57 things. And, you know, two of them are in the store and the other you know, 50 of them or whatever aren't, aren't bought at all. But they have their list of things that they've done, and they just keep trying to make the next great thing. And uh, it's that curiosity that I think this call, this, this, uh, this invitation or call to adventure kind of plays on. Like, hey, take a chance. Maybe today's the day.
1: And it's so interesting, like you said, that it's so easy to see in another person's story. Like, hey, you can do this. This is a call to adventure, right? And so like, if I'm watching Lord of the, if I'm watching Lord of the Rings and, or I'm I'm watching the Hobbit and it's like, Bilbo, go on the adventure. Like you're sitting at home eating fish, like go. And it's so easy for me. And then you get a job offer that you really don't feel qualified for and you feel like is over your head. And it's like, oh no, 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 but no, 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 not me. <laughs> you know. And so it's really easy to see with other people. And I think we've all had you know, it's, especially as women, we'll get together and have lunch and talk about things. And and uh, it's so easy for us to see in another person like, yeah, you can do this. I know, I know that you can do this, but we don't know ourselves that we can do this yet. And so it is easier to see in another person's life that this is an opportunity. But our fear of failure and our fear of being seen and our fear of being vulnerable and our fear <clears throat> that it's just not going to be enough is really is really overwhelming and it goes back to our lizard brain like as long as we feel safe it's really scary to go outside the cave you have to really um kind of break through things in order to in order to take those vulnerable steps and so what happens is uh and and again not every movie not every story is going to have all of these elements but here are some common elements is that there's the call, but like you said, Bill, it's really human of us to have what is called the refusal of the call, where it just feels like too much. So in Harry Potter, this would be Harry coming out and say, I'm not a wizard. I'm just Harry. Just Harry. Like I I'm not I I can't be a wizard, right? And Luke says, I can't. Obi-Wan Kenobi, I can't follow you. Galactic Empire. I don't even know what you're talking about. I have to go home and help with the harvest because I'm a moisture farmer. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. It's this refusal of like, this this can't be me. And so Bilbo doesn't want to go. He says, I just want to sit here and eat cheese and drink my wine. Katniss has this really um, sweet moment. And again, some of these longer stories will have like like in Harry Potter, there's seven books. So there's like a long hero's journey. And then there's like little mini heroes journeys. Yeah. It's all mixed together. But, but uh, Katniss has this moment in the hunger games where he says to, where she says to Gail, like, let's run away. Let's just try to survive in the forest. Let's run away from this. And it's, it's her saying, I, have there's this call. There's this invitation to be something bigger than and better than what you are, and it is terrifying. And so there's this refusal of the call. Frodo has this moment where he says to Gandalf, um, "You know, I wish the ring. I wish the ring hadn't have come to me. It's like this is too hard. Like what is being asked of me is is too much. I, I don't know that I can do this."
2: Yeah. I mean, again, notice in our collective consciousness, the fear and the rationale that pressure us into avoiding or even turning down the chance to do something bigger, Um, more difficult, but also more rewarding. And there's so many chances to, you know, whether it's schooling, education, a job opportunity, starting your own business, we've all had thoughts in our head about doing something like that. And uh, some of those may seem even larger than life or extraordinary. And notice perhaps to the listener, Notice perhaps in your own life, how many times you avoid taking a chance before actually taking the chance. And now notice that among humanity collectively, Uh, the hero's journey enters our consciousness as a way to suggest that we stop living in fear and apprehension and instead doing what the system says to do, to take a chance and to do something greater. The system, we all live in systems. We all live in societies, in, uh, in cultures. And the the roadmap generally for all of us is to either get an education and get a job or get a job and then do the same thing day in and day out instead of doing something else, instead of writing a book or um, getting certified as a a life coach, instead of um, doing something you're passionate about, we just follow these standard rote formulas for how we should live out our life. And we're so scared to take a chance that the hero's journey again is encouraging us to be aware when the opportunity comes and to remind us that you might have turned down the last one, but you don't have to turn down this one.
1: Hmm. I, there's a, there's a comment over here from a fellow nerd who says Frodo offers the ring to so many people to take the job from him. And I love this because even though it's hard to imagine our lives as, as adventures like that, we do this, um, we do this yeah. In within ourselves where we say, Oh, let me talk to this person and maybe they can tell me what to do with my life. If I should do the, you know, divorce my husband or take this job or whatever. And it's the same thing as like Frodo giving the ring to someone and say, please take it. And then, you know, the wise, Galadriel says, you know, this task has been appointed to you, your path of life cannot be given to you by anyone else. It's something that you have to walk mapless on your own. And it is terrifying. And it is scary. And it is hard. Um, But yeah, we have this tendency to just want someone else tell me how to do this. Someone else make the steps for me, so that I can just follow it. So I don't have to sit with all this discomfort and all of this unknowing.
2: There, there's this. And so um, yeah, go ahead. There's this thing that happens in all of the superhero movies where, whether they are so, take Clark Kent for instance. He from the planet he came from, he was just an ordinary guy on the planet he came from. And because he's on earth and because earth's gravity and all kinds of other things work differently, he now has, and because the other people on this planet don't have the abilities he has, he is now thrust into a space where he's extraordinary. There are other superheroes. You mentioned Spider-Man. Uh, there are other superheroes who, um, they're just an ordinary human being and something cool happens and suddenly they have powers. But what is common among all those stories is that almost every superhero when they first get their powers, first realize that they are stronger and more capable or have some skill set that none of the rest of humanity has? Is they try to continue living as ordinary human beings without using their magic power. Um, and what happens is they very quickly learn that they're the guy or they're the gal in this opportunity. And it's only them that can take advantage of it. It's only them that can step up to the plate and do something. And so this refusing the call shows up all across these stories in so many ways. Um, and I think it's necessary. I think I think some of us don't want to do extraordinary things, but then we come to grips that we're the person at the right place at the right time to do them. and And so we start doing it. Um, it, it's, it's anyway, I'm just always fascinated by every aspect of this hero's, uh, the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell's, uh, uh, exploration of myth, because these are so powerful because we all are aware of it either consciously or unconsciously. It's, it's just in the collective consciousness. It yes. tells us maybe something, as you pointed out earlier, tells us something maybe bigger about ourself than the movie we're watching on the screen.
1: Hmm. And what I love about the refusal of the call is that you can think in your life, oh, I don't, you know, no, no, Al came in and dropped a letter and I refused it. Right. But when you really dig deep, when we are confronted with something that is new and scary, a really common human response to that is to go back to the last time you felt safe. Right. I I just want to go back to before this happened right? And so we talk about this a lot in faith journeys, like, I, I want to go back to where I didn't know this, or yeah. I I want to go back to when my marriage wasn't like this. Or I, I remember this is pers- this is a, a personal time where I refused the call, or a kind of sense where I was refusing the call. It was the moment where I told my husband that I didn't um, believe some of the foundational things of the church I was raised in. And we just sat in this tension and it was so like it was so scary it was much more scary than an owl flying in with a letter like I would have much preferred that right this was like actually scary I don't know what's gonna happen with my marriage and I remember um, I had I had not been wearing garments for some time and it was so uncomfortable sitting in this tension between me and my husband when I had to to have that conversation that I actually put my garments on because I just had this desire to say, I just wanna go back to the time when things were okay. Mm. And I did that for a few hours until I realized like, oh, whatever just happened. I can't go back. Yeah. But it's very, very common. And, and you'll even see this with like, you can develop phobias here. So you'll see, and I like to watch really weird shows about what weird humans, what weird human things that we do. And whenever you look at like a, a weird addiction, or even a food addiction, you'll watch like 600 pound life, and it'll be some person and it'll say, the last time I felt loved was when I was eating pie at grandma's house and they just keep eating pie like they were at grandma's house or whatever it was the last it's, it's reverting to the last time that you feel safe. So if refusal of the call isn't always like a no to the job offer, it can also be, I'm just going to try to force myself to go back to when the last time things were okay was because I'm so uncomfortable and that's a really human response, but it's also one that limits our growth.
2: Yeah. And I would only add that in these stories, in these movies, the call, the call seems to be extraordinary itself, right? The flying owl, or you've got some magic superpower bestowed upon you. Um, in life, sometimes the call is very subtle. Sometimes the difference between us going down one path or another is simply a a, a comment made by somebody, or some encouragement by another or uh, somebody taking us aside and saying, hey, you're really good at this. You ought to do something with that. Um, the call can be very subtle and we ought to be cognizant of that so that we pick up on those moments when they happen. And sometimes we're oblivious to them yeah. and we still refuse or accept the call not knowing it was the call.
1: Yeah, I, for me, I feel like the call for my life the one, you know, the the call that I'm afraid of, the invitation for something greater that that I'm afraid of, is often the call of like a difficult conversation that I know I have to have. Like those, like I would, there's some conversations I've had to have in my life, where I would have much rather have been Harry Potter walking into facing the dragon in the fourth book. Like I would have yeah. much preferred facing a dragon than to walk into this difficult conversation, right?
2: Yeah.
1: So what happens next is the first threshold where uh, one of two things usually happens where you decide to go on this journey. So this would be like Bilbo. He is sitting at home. The rest of the party has left. He's sitting at home looking around and he's realizing this adventure is going on without me. And I'd better go. And so he runs off, he gets, he signs his contract, he runs off and he joins the adventure. So sometimes it can be a choice, like I'm going to go answer the call, go on the adventure, have the conversation, whatever it is. And then sometimes it's forced upon them. So this would be like Luke, um, Luke actually refuses the call. He says, I'm going back to the farm because I'm a moisture farmer and there's a harvest. And when he goes back, his aunt and uncle have been killed. The farm is gone. You can't go back. So one of two things happens. Either they choose to take the adventure or they're almost forced to like the path back is gone. You can't go back. It's gone. And so you, you choose to go forward. And so then the next thing that happens in the story is some kind of aid or mentor or guide. And there's a lot of really common archetypes here. This would be, um, like a a Hagrid would be Harry's first mentor, kind of telling him what's going on. Eventually that kind of turns into Dumbledore, um, For Dante's Divine Comedy, which is a a book that I spent a lot of time with, this would be Virgil or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Gandalf, Uncle Ben. Um, And it's this idea that is built into the story that wherever you go, wherever you're going, you can't do it alone. It's your journey, it's your path, but you you're going to need some help. You're going to need a mentor and a mentor will often show up. And this often shows up in the form of an old man or an old woman, which I think is super interesting. So it's often like a Gandalf Dumbledore type, like an old wise man, or there's also old wise women too. So this would be fairy godmother. This would be like in Pocahontas, the movie at least uh, like a grandmother willow like a wise old tree or an old hag. And so in in our kind of archetypal memories, when you're taking the first steps on that journey, you're really looking for someone with some wisdom. And often that's displayed as someone who has aged. They've they've earned their wisdom through age. And so this will be yeah, so you're you're looking for the fairy godmother the the old uh, wise grandma, the Gandalf, the Dumbledore—that's who's going to show up next. It's someone to offer wisdom in this new and scary place.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, each of us in our life, we're lucky to bump into a few people who have more experience, more wisdom, more of a grasp of life uh, that we wish to have, and they open us up to seeing the world differently and seeing ourselves differently, and they help us to see that accepting the call is the better choice or the right choice. It's a chance to live a life of adventure or of social justice work or a life of creation. Uh, they help us see that we really must do the right thing and make the outside world a better place and, or make the ground or world uh, within us a better place. And notice too, sometimes there's more than one mentor um, in uh matrix. For instance, uh, there is Morpheus who is kind of the first one to come along, but then uh he still doesn't believe in himself and he goes to see the Oracle Uh, in Star Wars. There's Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Luke doesn't quite believe in himself yet until he gets done uh, with Yoda. And so Mm. often in life, there are multiple mentors who are trying to point us to something. Uh, Sometimes we get more than one chance to grasp it. And sometimes we don't.
1: Yeah. So it's, I, I, I love this place where there's, there's a place for the old, because I, what I really love is it, it's a place where the old wise woman has a part in the story, a very important part in the story. And in our culture, women, you know, we're supposed to try to stay young forever, and I feel like that's losing something. You're missing the old wise woman in the story who has something to contribute, right? And so, built into the the mentor part of the story is this idea that you're going to need help. And it's also a place to um, serve. If you find that you're the person who has been there before, that's where you can show up for other people too. So it's this really beautiful place of, um, yes, we're all on our own individual paths, but we do still need each other's wisdom. I mean, you and I both get emails probably daily saying, I just, my son just came out gay today, or I just told my story on Mormon stories. And I, I don't know what's coming next, right? It's this call for like, I think you've been down this path before and can help me. I think you have some wisdom there that could help me. Um, and we've all, been in, we've all been in that place before because it's really scary when you're taking those first few steps into the unknown. But as you keep asking for help, usually someone, you'll be able to find someone who has some kind of wisdom to impart
2: to you. There's this phrase, self-made man, and I'll apply it self-made woman as well. And I don't like it. I actually just heard the phrase today. I was listening to some podcast, and the person was talking about his father. And he said, my father was a self-made man. He went into, I forget what the business was, but he went into business and started a business and it was successful and he hit it out of the park. And I never liked that phrase. Ever since I was a kid and heard it because nobody's self-made. We all bump into people. We all have certain opportunities thrust upon us. We all, you know, Uh, my parents used to say, it's not necessarily um, what you do. Sometimes it's who, you know, and in life. And I think the whole point of the older man or the older woman is to remind us that there are people in this world who run counter to the society around us. They've got life experience though. You can tell in their voice, there is wisdom. They're doing something a different way. I remember being a young kid, 14 years old, 15 years old. My dad and my uncle, two of my uncles, actually, and a bunch of us cousins, we played a golf tournament every year. We called it the masters after the professional tournament. And we actually handed out a green jacket when we got done. And we went to this country club one year and played and uh, the adults went and played in the first group. And then a couple of us kids played with another guy who was a complete stranger to us. And for the 18 holes that we played, this guy was like 65 years old, and he told us about all the cool things he did, all the life opportunities he took advantage of, and even in that moment, just talking to this really interesting person who I didn't know prior to this game of golf, I realized that some people get an opportunity and they take real advantage of it, and I carried that with me all through my life. I was always looking for. I was a lazy uh, student. I I didn't work hard at my schooling. But I did always keep my ears to the ground and my eyes open for an opportunity that would come along. Um, and it's kind of interesting how certain people have impacts on us throughout our life and the things they say, we might bump into them just for an hour and uh, or maybe even just a few minutes or a few seconds. And they can make a world of difference in the path that we take.
1: Yeah, that's a really beautiful way of being. And I feel like you really you really model this, Bill, when I think about your attributes, you really model this for people. It's, it's this idea that everyone I talk to has some wisdom to offer me that could help me. They, they know something that I don't know, right? And that's yeah. a really beautiful way of, of, of meeting people, right? Instead of this idea of like, I know everything about everything. Let me tell you what to do with your life. Meeting people with, you have some wisdom, you have something in your story. It, it, it would be like, When you're playing a video game, you're kind of walking around to see like, oh, this person has like this spell and this person has like this elixir of whatever. And it's like we actually can do that as humans as we bump into each other. People have have hidden um, strengths and wisdom and sometimes hard earned wisdom that uh, can can help us along in our journey.
2: Um, Just a a quick note. That's really beautiful. Sometimes the mentor isn't a person. Sometimes the mentor is mm. a book or a philosophy, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a YouTube mm-hmm. video. Um, maybe it's a post on social media. When, when I was going through my original onset of going like something isn't right in my spiritual world, it just fell into my lap, uh, Fowler's Fowler stages of faith. And when mm-hmm. I read Fowler stages of faith, it really was a mentor that would, at least on some level, be influencing me for about the next decade. And uh, Mm. it spoke to me, even though everything about my system told me not to take that as truth, everything in my system told me to discard it. It rang true in my insides and I couldn't let go of it.
1: Yeah. Sometimes the mentor can even be ourselves, right? This higher self that uh, as we're having kind of these internal this happens in books a lot yeah. um, where you're kind of having more of an internal monologue and a dream will come or an image or a memory that will kind of cue you to your higher self and you'll actually end up teaching yourself something. And so mentors, yeah, mentors, this, this, this is books and experiences and people and just someone somewhere who has something to offer you in this place that's really scary, right? Mm. Um. Mm. So the next thing that happens is in the stories that you leave the ordinary. So this is called the first threshold. You've left the ordinary. You're at Hogwarts. You're wherever, you know, wherever the story is going and you're demanded to respond to a larger reality that was always there, but you didn't know it, right? You've left the matrix. You've left the ordinary in some way. So, so there's danger and there's fear and excitement and wonderment Um, this is, you're showing up as a hobbit in, in the big world. You're seeing elves for the first time. Oh, there's this great little line from, um, Samwise Gamgee where he's walking away from the shire and he stops and he goes, if I take one more step, it's the farthest away from home I've ever been. And then he like, kind of just like takes a step like this. And it's just like this beautiful moment that I've left, I've left safety. I've left the ordinary. You've left Tatooine, you're Dante with Virgil, you've got your mentor, now you're walking into hell. And there's the, the gates, abandon all hope all ye who enter here. Um, you've left ordinary life and you've walked into the chaos. You've taken the first steps uh, on the journey. And you can, sometimes you can't go back like Luke and sometimes you're choosing not to go back because you're choosing to go here. Um, But you really have to confront fear in this place. But hopefully in your journey, you have at least a mentor or two telling you that, yes, this feeling is scary, but you're not going to die. Let's keep going. right? Yeah.
2: Um, You know, each of us, (laughs) each of us must confront that the world wasn't built the way we thought. And so entering this world, like in these books or these movies, maybe they go to a different planet. Maybe they enter a new country. Maybe they show up in a new world. Um, but for us, it's maybe just realizing the world isn't built the way we thought it was. It doesn't reward the actions or behaviors the way we thought it doesn't value the principles that we thought it should. And so we do wake up to another planet. We sense that this environment can and is manipulated in ways that we've never considered. Uh, perhaps it is all of the paperwork, permits and red tape of starting a business. Maybe it's harder, um, uh, to start your new opportunity than you thought. Maybe you sense just how big of a task you have created for yourself and fear sets back in. We sense just how overwhelming it is, how daunting it is. And we long to go back to where it was simpler and more mundane.
1: Hmm. Here's a funny, I had to laugh at this comment. Uh Mary and Pippin, this would be back in Lord of the Rings, learn that they serve alcohol in lot la- larger mugs. There's this great moment where it goes, <laughs> it comes in pints. Like yeah. I had no idea. And what's really interesting is that the world that they're going into has always been there. So it's never like the world just came into existence today. Like that planet just like just appeared, you know, for everyone. The world that that they're walking into has always been there. Hogwarts has always been there outside of the Shire has always been there. The world outside of Tatooine was always there. So it's a breaking almost of like innocence, a breaking of naivety where you think that this little world that you live in is the world is everything. And it's stepping into, wow, the world is much bigger and more complex and scarier and more wonderful. And, it's just so much bigger than what I imagined. And that's something that I think we can all relate to, because when you're a child, you know, your whole world is is what's going on inside your home. Right. And and school. And um, I think all of us, when we get older, we don't realize the things that our families do that. You know, you think your family is normal and then you realize, oh, this is the way that my family is unique. Well, you don't go you don't know that until you go outside of your family into the world. And so this this first stepping out in into a a new world, it is a world that has always been there. You just didn't know
2: it. Yeah. You you now see the you now see the world with new eyes.
1: Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. It was there all along. Um, But it was
1: there all along. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. So the next one is called tests, allies and enemies. And if you're in a movie, this is going to be the bulk of the film, right? So this would be various tests and challenges, friends that you make along the way, enemies that you make along the way. This would be, um, you know, like in, in star Wars, the very beginning with Luke, the call and going off with Obi-Wan, and all of that. That that happens in the first few minutes, but the bulk of the movie is challenges, right? So this would be a lot of the action. Uh, Shire, we have this whole story that goes through to Mortar. There's a Balrog. Gandalf dies. Boromir tries to take the ring. For Harry, there's multiple friends and allies along the way you know it's not just it's not just Voldemort at the end there's Umbridge and Snape and dementors and Malfoy but there's also friends like Ron and Hermione so this is the part where you're just out with challenges making friends but also meeting obstacles along the way and it's just kind of the adventure part of the journey um, and in this part of the journey, we always need allies. The journey can't be done completely on our own.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We learn the stakes, right? Thoughts we, there. What's that?
1: Just thoughts there. Yeah. Go.
2: Oh, yeah. We. Uh, it seems like maybe there's just a little tiny delay. We learn the stakes. We learn uh, who is really cheering us on, uh, who really isn't on our side. A lot of times we learn in these processes, and you see this play out when Somebody is supposed to be your ally and they turn out to have been plotting against you. Some of the people you think are your allies or your friends aren't, they don't have your best interest. And sometimes they even have the opposite of your best interest at heart. Um, It's not always who we expect to be on each side. We need others to be on the journey with us, right? We need helpers. We learn about what others are expecting from us and what others need from us. And we learn our own capability in meeting those and the task of this new life. And it's it's a recognition that, again, we're going to fail sometimes. It's going to go south. We're going to be in an experience, and we think we know ourselves, and we think we got our behavior worked out to where we're going to make the right choice. And then in the heat of a moment, we don't, and we fail, and we make a mistake. Um, but as you point out, not only these tests, but we are sorting out who are the people who have common interest with us and who support us. And, and those whose interests are maybe the opposite of ours. Um, you know, I, I, I used to help out a bunch with politics, um, campaigns and and putting signs in yards, calling voters. And my politics have changed over time as I became more aware of the world as it is. And sense that the way I thought things worked, didn't and then I learned that some of my allies were my enemies and some of my, some of my enemies were my allies. And, and that's played out in the professional world that I've participated in as well. This is really where we learn how the world works and we learn how we work inside.
1: Yeah, and you're just can, what's really helpful here um, when I'm working with clients is it's really helpful in your brain to say, this is the part of the story where blank, because it can be really helpful when you're in a challenging part of your life just like a challenging part in any one of these movies that we've mentioned. Oh, this is the part of the story where Katniss has to face this. This is the part of the story where um you know Luke has met Han Solo and Chewie, but this is it's time to face Darth Vader, whatever the part of the story is, right? You can say that to the character on the screen. You know that this is part of the story and they have to do this. But it's also really helpful to do that for your own life so that when, so that you're putting your suffering and your challenges and your uncomfortable feelings into a larger story. And that's actually something really helpful. Human beings need story, especially those who, um, you know, were raised on a certain story and then lost it like lost faith in that story and now you feel like you have no story. It can be really helpful to say in that space, this is the part of the story, just like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars where I'm going to meet some challenges. Okay. Okay, that's this part of the story. Or you're home you're a mom and you're home with young kids and you don't have a lot of free time and you're going a little crazy. This is the part of the story where my kids are young and it's really hard, but that's this chapter right? And I'm not, the story isn't going to stay here forever. And that can be really helpful for, for this part of the story where, yeah, you are meeting friends and people who will invalidate your experience or really kind of dislike you for what you're saying, or will send you nasty emails or whatever it is. Um, And you're going to have challenges and see what you're made of and you'll have to grow and you'll have to learn new things and you'll have mentors. And this is this is the struggle. It's the struggle bus. Right. And so it can be really helpful to put those feelings and those struggles and really say to yourself, this is the part of my story where this is happening. It can off that can often kind of just like calm down the anxiety a little bit like, oh, okay." this is this is just a part of my story. This is just a chapter. And you know, other chapters are coming, other experiences are coming. It's not going to stay this way forever. Luke yeah. Luke doesn't fight Darth Vader for 3 hours. Like like eventually that chapter comes to comes to an end. And so that can be a really great way to kind of talk to yourself when you find yourself in a challenge. That's that's part of the story.
2: Yeah. And and just to note know- the next one we're going to go into to kind of lead up to it, these tests and uh, learning who our allies are and learning who our enemies are, the they feel like, see if I can explain this better. It feels like this is the day-to-day thing we're going to do now. This is how we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have challenges and we're going to have successes and we're going to uh, have people who support us and people who work against us. That's the world we live in. But what we don't realize, and the hero's journey tries to teach us this, what we don't realize is those moments really were preparing you for the moment, which is yet to come. And that moment is going to absolutely define you.
1: Mm. Here's another comment that I really liked. I'm going to put it on the screen. Sometimes we learn what we want or need by learning what we don't want or need. And that's true, is as you're, as you're kind of making your own path. You're gonna say, "Oh, I like this. Oh, I I don't like this. This this doesn't speak to me. I thought this might speak to me, but it doesn't, right?" There's gonna be lots of little windy roads um, all through mm-hmm. that path as you're finding out what really is calling, what really is calling you. And so, as you said, this is leading up to this kind of pinnacle moment. It doesn't happen with every story, but it's very common. It's called the approach to the inmost cave. And what this is, is where the hero has to go to the place that they fear the most. So this would be um, like, sometimes literally it's shown in a cave. So in Star Wars, Luke practices this with Yoda. And when he's training with Yoda, he actually goes into a dark cave and he faces Darth Vader. And then when Darth Vader's head's chopped off, he sees his own face. Like Mm. I... I am my father. I may become my father that that may happen to me. It's, it's the place that he went to face his greatest fear. And then he had to actually go and, and confront Darth Vader um, in Lion King, which Lion King is actually will has followed will follow the entire um markers of the hero's journey. So Simba at first runs from his call like he runs away and does akuna matata and literally i you know i'm called to be king i am running away akuna matata and i'm going to go eat bugs over here with the pig and the meerkat and so then nala comes back and recalls him back to his responsibility so simba meets his mentor which is the wise old monkey again we have this old symbol again but the moment where simba has kind of like a come to Jesus meeting with himself is he's running through the dark jungle and he looks down and has this conversation with his father, right? And his father tells him you are more than what you have become. That is the place Simba was afraid to face the memory of his father. He was afraid for his father to be disappointed in him. That was the place that he feared. And so he's literally running through a dark tunnel and he looks down at the dark water and has this kind of confrontation with with, um, Mufasa. But um, it's a very, very common symbol of you're going to go to the deepest place, the place you're afraid to go. Um, in Harry Potter, there's a couple places this happens, because again, this is a really long story. But the one that stands out for me is when Harry realizes that he's the seventh Horcrux, at kind of the end of his journey, he um, he says, I am about to die, which is... Uh, for people who haven't watched Harry Potter, this is just made up words to you, but he's holding this golden snitch at the end. He's never been able to open it. He's never been able to open this golden snitch until he faces, I I think I'm going to die, right? And that's the place he was really afraid. um, And he didn't realize that he was wrapped into this and that he may die in this journey until that moment. Um, In Lord of the Rings, there's another a tunnel to a deep, dark cave. It's when Aragorn is answering his call and he walks into the the cave with the dead king. And above the cave, it says, the way is shut. It was made by those who are dead. And it's the place that Aragorn feared um, going into and to really take his place as king. And he had been running from this call through the whole movie, but he walks into the deep, dark cave and faces his responsibility. Yeah. Um, in Star Wars, Rey admits to herself that her parents aren't coming and that they were no one, that they traded her, which is a truth that she had really been keeping from herself. Um, in Lord of the Rings, Frodo again, he's in and he's abandoned in a spider's cave, and he realizes that he doesn't have Sam, and that he chose wrong, and he's actually bitten uh, or stabbed by the spider, and all hope is lost. So this is the place where you meet yourself the most deeply. It's a place of darkness, and it's mostly the place that you've been avoiding. so just overwhelming fear, overwhelming fear. And the hero has to go there,
2: yeah. you Thus. know I was saying I was saying in the last part, you know, these tests and learning who your allies and enemies are. These tests are there to you you think that's the day-to-day stuff you're going to do now. And the reality is it's preparing you for the moment. And as you're pointing out, the moment is almost always internal. Like maybe there's some challenge outside of you, but, but the superhero or the adventurer or the star of the book or movie, they're really figuring out like, Oh, this is who I thought I was. And in that moment, I'm not showing up the way I should, I'm still scared or I I don't make the, the moral decision. Um, I don't do the right thing. And and you're put right on that precipice of like, hey, am I going to be the person I thought I was or am I going to be this other thing that's less than? And I don't mean less than as in bad, but maybe in some ways I do, like making the wrong decision. And so I think often this, uh, this going into the cave, this approach to the inmost cave, it's internal. You're figuring out not only who you are in this moment, but you now get a decision to make about who you'll be in the next one. And there's often these redeeming stories um, in Peter Pan or not Peter Pan, but in Peter Parker, Spider-Man, there's the, there's a point where he kind of uh, I think he's uh, influenced by venom a little bit and he is kind of arrogant and he's kind of dancing in the club and he's trying to pick up girls and he, he's just being a, a jerk. And he has to kind of realize like, oh, this isn't the guy I want to be. Um, this moment in the cave really shines a light on our shadows. It really is pointing us to the worst parts of ourselves, And the heroes come out of the cave having learned from that and making an active choice to be something better in the next moment.
1: Yeah. So what's really important here is that the hero doesn't get the reward or doesn't become the full hero like you're talking about mm-hmm. until they face their shadow, until they face their inmost cave. And so when I'm doing spiritual work with people, I see this come up usually in two ways. People will say, um, I know I, I'm afraid to face death, or like, you know, maybe they've left the church and their father died 10 years ago, uh, but they now have to like re-mourn that because they have a different story. Um, so death will often be an inmost cave. Like I'm afraid that I'm, I'm afraid of having to more, fully mourn this person and step into the grief that I know I've kind of put off here. Um, or I'm afraid of facing my own mortality. That can be an inmost cave that I work with people on. And then another one is belief in God or at least some kind of belief that's, that's holding it in place. So, uh, and I'm not saying that everyone should throw away their belief in God or Jesus or whatever, but what I hear a lot of people say when I work with people is that if I let go of this belief, whatever it is, a church, a Jesus, a God, or whatever, if I let go of this belief, I'll have to face that life is fundamentally mysterious. I'll have to face the chaos. I'll have to face the fact that I don't know. And that can be so scary that they will hold on to that belief for a long time, even from themselves, just because they are so afraid of entering the cave of not knowing the cave of mystery, really. And so those are the ones whenever someone I'm working with someone and they say, Oh, I'm afraid to go there. And it's usually death and whatever beliefs that they're holding on to. It's really important to say, okay, let's mark this place. This is your inmost cave and you are not going to be able to complete your hero's journey until you walk into this cave. And I can help you and I can guide you, but this is a place where you have to go because you cannot become the fullness of who you're meant to be until you go and face the place that you're most afraid of, because that's the place of your ultimate growth. Just like Luke could have been a great Jedi. But if he didn't ever face Darth Vader, he didn't become the Jedi that he could have been. Right. And so it's this moment. And and same thing with Simba. He could have stayed. He could have stayed in Akuna Matata land and really just like, nope, that side of my story is over here and I'm going to keep it over here but you can't fully become who you're meant to be or who you could be until you face the thing that you're most afraid of. And in our world where we're dealing a lot with spirituality and faith journeys, that's often death and whatever beliefs you have left, usually around God is where I see that show up a lot. And those are scary. Those are really scary places. Um, I think for me personally, death was much easier of a cave to enter into than the cave of like mystery and absurdity. That one knocked the wind out of me. That was the one I was really afraid of.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But as we'll get to in the next part of the story, rewards come when you enter your inmost cave.
2: Yeah. I just want to note that you often in the cave have to hit rock bottom, or you have to yes. confront maybe for the first time the worst parts of yourself. And one of and again, this only tangentially connects but in superman it's really his encounter the first time with kryptonite right like it's his Mm. like oh like oh maybe i'm not strong all the time maybe i'm not maybe i don't have superpower all the time maybe i am just normal if i encounter certain things It, it really is kind of getting the chance to see your shadow self and and or you hit rock bottom. You're at your lowest point. You're at the moment where it really couldn't, as you pointed out earlier, it really couldn't get any worse than it is right now. And I think we've all had those moments where, you know, I remember a certain instance in my life and I won't share it here. It's too personal, but there was a moment in my life where for about two weeks, I was in despair and I just felt like, and it wasn't any person. It wasn't any, thing going on in my life it was there i confronted something inside of me and i for two weeks didn't know if i could ever move from that spot and uh often the hero in the book or the movie in the hero's journey ends up getting like you said it doesn't last forever you don't fight darth vader for three hours at some point you get through whatever is in the cave and you you now know what the worst looks like and you promise to do all you can to avoid those parts of yourself. And, to, and I don't mean avoid them like ignore them, avoid them as in let's overcome it. Let's become better. Let's learn something new that allows me to grow away from that piece of me that I don't like.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And once you, once you confront whatever is in your inmost cave, whatever the thing is that you're most afraid of, um, one of the rewards, and we'll go to rewards next is one of the rewards is that things aren't quite as scary ever again. It's like you've met the biggest dragon, right? You've, you've met the scariest cave for you personally, and you walked into that place. So when you have to like, you know, write an awkward email, it's like, well, that's not anything compared to- the the big dragon, right? The big dragon within that I just faced. And so it can give you some, you know, I survived that so I can survive anything, which is one of the rewards. So yeah, so the next phase after the hero goes to the inmost cave is the reward. And uh, sometimes this can be like the princess or the magic sword or the water of life that saves a loved one or resolving a mystery um, so sometimes it's like something tangible like that. And then something, sometimes it's also, um, something has changed with the hero, right? So the hero has earned his sense of self and is, re- and, um, the hero has something within that can help them in their journey. Right? So it's, it's returning within Elixir is something made the journey worth it. You have something now that you didn't have before. So this, so for Simba, <clears throat> this is, I, knew, I know who I am and I know who I need to be. And I'm going to start running back to, to Pride Rock. It's, I have something now. I've faced, I've, I've gone to the inmost cave. I've faced myself. I've, I've faced the memory of my father. I know who I am now. And I'm now I'm gonna go right. So it can be something physical. A lot of this time, a lot of the times, this is represented in stories as something physical, a magic sword or whatever. Um, but it's often a reward of something inside. So in Harry Potter, there'd be a couple times. Um, so like Harry Potter, he returns back home, but he has Hedwig. He has the wand under his bed. He knows that no matter what his aunt and uncle does. I've changed. I'm special in some way. I know that there's people who love me. I've faced things I can handle going back to the cupboard under the stairs because I'm different now, right? So there's some kind of reward where either the hero has some tools or has some change inside where um, where um he's different or she is different in some way.
2: Yeah, it was a when I talk about that two week kind of uh, moment for me, that was rock bottom. It was also a precipice moment that I walked away from different than I entered in. And and if I'm honest, I, I had a few of those uh, kinds of things going on at the same time that really made that moment. And I came out of that uh, more emboldened, more solidified, more courageous to be the person, not, not just the person I wanted to be, But this new person that I am, like you are different. You are changed. Um, You are now ready to take on the world, really being, I think, aware of who you are and honest to yourself and showing up much more capable to be the person you thought you were all along
1: and you're doing it because you're choosing it and not because you're running of the thing that's in the yeah. cave, right? Oh, amen. Because so much so much of our life before you enter the cave is I'm doing this thing because I'm I I, I want to keep myself busy and I want to keep myself in this place so that I don't have to go in that cave, right? And this is what religion religion really provides, right? You in some religions uh, you really never have to face death because there's this story that just makes it all okay. Like, oh, I don't have to think about the suffering of this child They're with Jesus now. Like, I don't have to go into that cave of like imagining that some people's lives are just suffering and abuse and then they die. Like, I don't have to go into that cave. I don't have to feel those things. I have this nice story and they're with Jesus now. So maybe that's true, but I see it often used as a kind of spiritual bypassing, right? And so, if our life is driven by these subconscious fears, I fear, I fear death, I fear this, I fear that, um, then you're not choosing what your life could be. That's not a conscious choice, then. Yeah. And so, what happens with the hero is as soon as they go through the cave, I'm no longer driven by that fear. I'm no longer subconsciously making choices to avoid this dragon. I face the dragon and now I can make a conscious choice about what to do with my life.
2: And, and so
1: I love, and yeah, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, and um, you're no longer trying to meet the expectations maybe that others have of you. You're now just being the person you were meant to be.
1: Hmm. I love this. There's this quote in Harry Potter that he's, he's training these wizards and he says every great witch or wizard has started where we are now. Why not us? And I love this thought of like, well, why, why not us? Why not me? Why, why, why not me? Why can't I take that path? I've, I've faced, I faced my fears I can choose this path now and not because, you know, I'm running from something, but because I'm choosing that this is what I want my life to be.
2: Mm, Love it.
1: do you want to address that? I want, let me address this comment. Cause this is really interesting. I work with this a lot. Um, we had someone comment. I'm still at the clueless and lost stage of ex Mormonism. I'm still wrapping my mind around being a muggle now. Um, something that's really interesting that I work with a lot is, um, it's called a, a, a shift from eternalism is what it's called. And so if you've been given the story that, um, the universe was made just for you and God loves you. And not only does God love you, but but you are special, right? You are God's special people, which every religion is God's special people. This isn't just Mormonism. So you're, you're special, the universe was made for you. You have this eternal plan of greatness. Mm. And if that breaks down, it can be very difficult to shift your brain into how to find meaning when the universe wasn't created for you, right? And so um, it's almost as if, and in the brain, we can look at it. I mean, it's almost as if you have a traumatic brain injury and you have to learn how to write and walk and talk again. Um, When you're rewriting a story, it's it's essentially as if your brain has always been filtering and processing everything through this old story. So when the old story fails, rewriting the new story is very difficult. It's going to feel like, you're really lost for a while. And that's totally normal, which is why it can be really helpful to learn about, to actually even write down your new story. Um, and that can ha- kind of help rewire your brain that this is how we used to process everything into this story, but I'm the hero of this new story and we're going to rewrite the story Um in a way that's more authentic to me. Um, so that's, that's a very common place to be when you're coming away from a story where you are eternally special. It's going to take some time for your brain to shift away into a new kind of story, a new way of being, but it can get there, especially if you practice and even write down you as the hero of your own story, which is why this hero's journey is so great for, um, so great for you to do internal work with.
2: Yeah, it it sounds, you know, the way she worded that, the first thing came to mind is the dark night of the soul, right? Like that moment where the world you thought you lived in crashes and you don't know how to make sense of it yet. And we ought to at least recognize that our lives have lots of dark nights of the soul. Like there are lots of moments. Um, it is that innermost cave. And it's not we're not going to just run into one innermost cave. In these hero journeys, again, as you point out, Lord of the Rings is a multi-volume set, so the theme plays over and over again. But in a general hero's journey story, there may be just one innermost cave, but the teaching is there that we're going to run into these caves over and over again and learn new things about ourselves and have to confront pieces of ourselves or pieces of the world that, We didn't think we're there or they're not what we thought they were. And uh, the lesson, at least in the subject matter that we're talking about today, is that there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. As we endure that, it feels hopeless. It feels like there's no way to make sense of it. This is, I'm now lost. And the reality is that you'll look back a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you'll look back and go, oh, like that was a moment. And there was light at the end of the tunnel and I came out stronger and better for it and more able to make sense of my world in ways that brought me peace or joy or gave me the capability to deal with other hard things that came ahead.
1: Yeah, and that is a really important Uh, that's a really beautiful thing to give yourself. It it really gives yourself some grace when you're in those kind of cave moments where it feels like I'm, I'm just going to be suffering forever is just to say, Oh yeah, this is, this is the part of the story where I face this fear. This is the part of the story where I grieve this death. This is the part of the story where um, I don't know what I believe for a while. And that's really hard, but I know at the other, at, at, you know, when you leave the cave, you have some kind of reward, you're, you're better for it. You've changed in some way. And yeah. so that can give you hope that how you're feeling in your inmost cave is not the way that you have to feel forever, yeah. right?
2: Yeah. That there's
1: transformation to, on the other side.
2: Yeah, I wanted to address this question here. So Jerry says, just curious, do persons who don't have family members who are LDS or part of a high demand fundamentalist religion who leave that religion, do they have the same kinds of problems transitioning? And, and you know, as one who converted to the church who had no family, I would say it's a different set of problems. For instance, when I went back to Ohio this past year, there was a big party of my family members on my side. None of them, you know, every single one of them, never Mormon. And as we sat and had a conversation and had fun, we had a meal and we all laughed and joked and talked to each other for hours on end. Really great time. What I had to confront was that my family actually had a healthier human dynamic to them than the system I came from, which manipulated me into believing that they were the top echelon of, of human behavior. So for instance, men and women had equal power and in their voices, when they spoke at that family function, my aunts and my uncles, Mm -hmm. my dad and all of his siblings Uh, whether male or female had equal power in their voice, there wasn't men were above women. That wasn't, that wasn't real. Number two, the in-laws in the biological siblings had equal power as well. So the aunts who had married into the family, the uncles who had married into the family had as much power in their voice as the biological siblings in that family. Same with the cousins, same with the nephews, the nieces. There wasn't any discrepancy for gender or for whether you were married in or biologically part of that family. And what I realized in that moment as I watched it. it, was like a light bulb moment. I'd never seen it before. I, it was always there, but I'd never seen it. And when I saw it for the first time, I realized what the church had taken away from me. It had convinced me to put distance between me and my family And I had missed out on a lot. And so I know that people born into the church have their own set of traumas and unhealthiness that they have to work through that the church gave them. But I I would just say that being a convert to the church, there were parts of it that were easier, and there were parts of it that were almost more sad.
1: Mm, That's interesting. Um, How I would respond to that question is, yeah, the, the relation, like, so if you have family members who are still um, kind of living their, Living their lives according to the story that you've left behind, that's going to create tension in your relationships, especially if you're trying to get your family to see, but I've got this story over here I'm working on that I'm really excited about and they don't validate it. That's very, very painful. But same for the family members who are in, who are trying to pull you back into their own story, right? So, yeah, those relationships, Mm -hmm. when you have family members who are still in a high demand religion, there's going to be a There's competing stories. Right. And you're a character in their story and you kind of have to allow yourself to be a character in other people's stories. And then you have your own story and they're going to be different rather than, you know, forcing it to be the same story which you know, isn't the health, most healthy dynamic anyway. So yeah, relationships in that way where you're trying to, one's trying to validate their story and one's trying to pull you back into the old story, that's gonna be tension. It's gonna create a need for a lot of healthy boundaries and, and conversations. Um, but the individual uh, journey of uh, losing your beliefs, losing your sense of self, losing your spiritual community, losing the way that you process life, losing the way that you process suffering, all of that individual stuff, you still kind of have to go through whether or not your family are active or not. So the individual part of that journey is still hard. It's still painful to lose your foundational belief system. Uh, For our brains, it's really, really, brains do everything that they can to not have to do that, right? They want like, just give me the simplest way that I can function in life, and when all of that breaks down, like our brains really do not like being in that place because it, it's hard, it's debilitating, it's hard to make decisions. And and yeah, um, even if your family is not members, you still have to go through some of that if if your high demand religion was how you processed the world. But maybe your relationships are a little bit easier.
2: Mm. Yeah. So there is dynamics on both sides that are unique. and yeah. uh there is trauma enough for both groups of people. Mm.
1: Okay. Ready to go to the next. So the next Let's part of our story here is re, uh, starting the return to the ordinary world. And so it's an integration back. Uh, so we learned something from the ordeal and we have to bring it back to ordinary life. So, uh, we're not back yet there's something that happens to before we get back but there's at least a road back so the eagles begin to carry frodo back or harry wakes up in the hospital and dumbledore t- tells him that he's you know saved by the love of his mother that the the hero is returning to some kind of starting point um harry you know harry in, in the summer goes back to the cupboard under the stairs In in some way, the hero has to return. And some people, uh, before before people get mad at me, (laughs) that does not mean that to be a hero, you have to uh, return back and sit in the congregation that raised you or the people that raised you, or you have to blossom in the garden that you were planted in. Um, What's interesting here is that the return to the ordinary world, does not mean that you, are go, you have to go back to the same place. So Frodo, for example, he goes back to the Shire, but he is so wounded, right? His wound in his shoulder still hurts. He's changed so much that he can't stay there. So he writes his story, he leaves it with Sam, and he goes off with the elves to the next world. Right. And so returning to the ordinary world doesn't always mean that you'd have to go back to the same place. Although often they do. It's just it's just a way of you've gone to someplace extraordinary and you have to bring it back to ordinary life or you have to bring it back to your community or you have to integrate it back into the ordinary world.
2: Mm. I think this moment where you're placed back in some sort of setting that you were in when you were the ordinary person, I think it's a lesson for us to recognize that we've grown. Like now you're back in this moment. um, You're back in this world that you were in before, but now you're changed. It's not the world that's changed. It's you. And so in Harry Potter when he goes back to visit his his normal place of being um when when um trying to think of other stories that kind of work this way but this idea of returning to the place you started it really is a lesson that that now the thing that's different is you you're the thing that's changed yes. you're the thing that's different I
1: love I love in Lord of the Rings. So Mary and Pippin and Sam and Frodo go back to the Shire and they go back to the bar really where the whole thing started and they just sit down and have a, have a beer like they used to. Um, But they kind of look at each other like, you know, we've, we've changed and, and then there's this beautiful moment where Sam looks back at this girl that he's always wanted to ask out, but this is Sam he returned from fighting a giant spider. You know, he's not afraid to ask the girl out on the date anymore. He's changed. And so he gets up and he asks the girl out and they get married. Um, and so it's this beautiful moment of Sam's returned. He's in the same bar. They're eat, they're drinking just like they used to, but Sam has changed. And now he's going to go ask the girl out because he always wanted to marry that girl. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's somehow you've got to integrate uh, whatever tool that you've learned, wherever, whatever journey or hard place you've been to, or thing that your mentor said, you've got to integrate it back some way into ordinary life.
2: Yeah. And and the journey is not over yet, right? Like there's still mm-hmm. stages and steps to go through in the matrix. There comes a point where, Neo outside of what he perceived as the matrix begins to have his powers again. Like when he goes into the matrix, he can do anything because he can manipulate the world. He now understands it. There comes a point and I don't remember if it's part three or what, but um, he begins to have his powers outside the matrix. In other words, maybe he's still in the matrix. right? And, There's another point too in the last one, which is the newest one that just came out. I think it's on HBO and it was at the theaters, but in the, in the very beginning of the the most recent matrix movie, he's back in the matrix again. He's been uh, at least on the beginning of the movie, he's been uh, programmed or brainwashed to that. All of his past memories are erased and he thinks he's back in the real world and he doesn't even know that he's in the matrix, but he's changed. He's different. So when things happen, rather than being oblivious to it, the little glitches, he notices them like he now has more capability. He is different, even though the matrix is still working like it did in the beginning. He sees the glitches and he notices them uh, rather than someone having to come to him and to convince him.
1: Yeah. So what happens there? So you start the return to the ordinary world. We've already kind of talked about this but the next element is some kind of resurrection so some kind of something happens in the story so that we know that this person has changed so uh, and and often it's some kind of form of resurrection especially in mythology but in like lord of the rings when gandalf faces the balrog so he's in his inmost cave he's facing the balrog he thinks he's dead um, and when he returns, he's Gandalf the White, like a literal kind of resurrection. I'm different now. I used to be Gandalf the Gray. Now I'm Gandalf the White. Um, in, in stories, even biblical stories, people are given new names. I used to be Saul. Now I'm Paul. Like I'm different now. Something has fundamentally changed about me. Um, in Harry Potter, he actually has a resurrection stone, um, which is really interesting because there's there's the symbology of the resurrection actually spelled out as the resurrection stone. And he has this wonderful sequence with with um, Dumbledore where he asks if he's dead, am I dead? Or is this happening in my head? And Dumbledore has this great line of, you know, just because it's happening in your head, why does that mean that it's not real? And so he gets to choose, you know, if you want to go back, you take this train and you go back. Um, But you, you know, you're different now. The hero has changed uh, not just a little bit. Not just like I conquered this little dragon. Like you've you've faced the inmost cave. You're integrating it back into your life. And so there's some kind of symbol in the story that you've resurrected or changed in some way. Um, as Darth Vader, uh, I love the end of Star Wars. I sometimes cry when. Um, they show Yoda and Obi-Wan and Darth Vader kind of their ghosts standing there, right? Because Darth Vader resurrects and has his, um, you know, his come around moment where he, he's the good guy. He's changed. He's been vindicated. Um, Jonah in the, in the Bible, he's, he's spit out of the belly after three days. So sometimes there's this symbolism of three days, which is really, uh, which happens in the Bible quite a bit, some kind of three-day transformation. So it's just it's just going to show that yes, yes, the hero is returning and integrating something into daily life, but they are they are fundamentally different in some way.
2: Yeah, at this point, perhaps they've overcome their shadow or their fear or their weakness or the thing that the thing that got them in that cave. Maybe at this moment they've overcome that. They've they've transcended whatever it was that was their greatest weakness or greatest fear, whatever, you know, inside or outside of them, whatever that thing was they encountered in the cave, they now come back completely changed in having overcome that thing.
1: And so the next part of the story, and this goes back to the question of why does this storyline show up everywhere? And literally once you kind of get the elements of the hero's journey, Every Disney movie, it's like, oh, this is a hero's journey. Um, Why does it keep showing up over and over? And I think this last part has something to do with that. Why this is written onto our subconscious is almost like a message from our ancestors. So the last part of the story is that the hero comes back with something that can be shared with the rest of this, with the rest of society, with humanity in some way. It's called the return of the elixir. So... Harry uh, has the wand of power, but he breaks it because no one should be this powerful. That's the gift that he gives the rest of the w- wizarding world. Frodo leaves the book with Sam to continue the story. He writes it, he finishes it, but he moves on with the elves. Um, Simba sends the hyena, you know, he's defeated Scar. He sends the hyenas away, and life comes back to the pride lands, right? This isn't just a change for me this change extends out, outwards. And it's almost like this message from our ancestors as we're talking about this story being in our subconscious of in order for you to be who you could be, you have to face these things, but when you do, come back and bring those gifts back to society because that's the only way that we're going to survive and learn and grow and transcend and get better. And hopefully each generation of children has a better life than the one before. Um, I have a list of Disney movies here. So Marlon comes back with Nemo, but he's changed and he lets his son go and explore. So they're in the same house, but it's bye. Have a great day at school instead of freaking out. Uh, Shrek returns to the swamp, but he has the princess now and children and it softens him and he's changed. Katniss in the Hunger Games actually returns to that part of her home and rebuilds it from the ashes and tries to create a world for her children that didn't exist for her. Moana has the same storyline of call and response. She meets Taka, and she's the only one that can restore her heart, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with Moana facing the demon she brings back to her island, the gift of voyaging. It was a gift in in their society that was lost and she brings it back to the community. And so the main character doesn't always stay in the community, but it's this invitation that if you've grown and if you've changed in some way, um, the hero, it it extends outward um, and the hero, um offers it to the world in some meaningful way so that we're all better for it and that's the end of the hero's journey it's like go out and have this amazing journey but come back and 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 change us too and so like that's that's a deep message from our ancestors as they're actually facing really scary physical things um to bring back the messages bring back the wisdom bring back the stories bring back everything so that we can all benefit from it so I yeah. think that that's a really beautiful way to end the hero's journey. There's always some kind of way that however they were changed extends out into humanity.
2: When the hero comes back, um, we sense more possibilities to influence the world for good. Notice the person who comes back with the elixir is now in, is now capable and in a place where they can be the mentor to others. We now have the tools to show others a better way. We now sense the world is changing in real time. When somebody has gone through the hero's journey, they're now the wisdom voice for the next generation of people going on the hero's journey. It's it's how we as a society, a culture, a collective consciousness, it's how we keep building on past things. It's how we keep adding to the collection. You know, Joseph Campbell noticed it, and he wrote about it, but human beings have been telling these kinds of stories forever. Um, Hercules, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you know, you can pick out the hero journey concepts within the Christian story. Um, this template has been around as long as human beings have been telling stories, and there's a reason for it. It serves us. It helps us to sense bigger and better. It helps us to sense that maybe what is popular is not always right, and what's right is not always popular, and to pick out those wisdom voices and to know somewhere inside of us that those voices are trustworthy, that there's real wisdom there, even if it runs counter to the culture that we live in.
1: Yeah, and I I just imagine this story or some version of this story, right? Told around a fire with a small tribe. And when you're talking about tribal survival, everyone's got to be their best selves and bring that best self into the tribe or you will die. The tribe will die, right? Um, You're not going to be able to survive the challenges of life and the suffering of life unless everybody is the hero of what they have to offer and are offering it to the group. Um, And so it's really just written into our subconscious. And so it shows up sometimes on purpose because people like George Lucas will study Joseph Campbell. And then sometimes it just shows up by accident because it's just written into our code. But one thing I do want to bring up is how the patriarchy can affect the hero's journey, because, of course, most of these stories are from the male perspective. These are men with swords slaughtering dragons is kind of like the template for this kind of story. And so what I get a lot is uh, mothers who say, well, I, I'm not on a hero's journey. I'm just kind of home with my kids. Right. And we, we even talked about this, you and I and Janice Spangler, Bill, when we did uh, Buddha and we were talked about how Buddha left his wife and his son to go get enlightened. Right. And so men get to leave and go on these grand adventures, or they get to go off into India and meditate and do all these cool things when across history, women have been home raising children. And so there's this idea that motherhood isn't a hero's journey because it's not a spiritual journey because it's not an adventure. And so I've, I read this book. um, It's by Lisa Marciano, who is a Jungian analyst. And uh, we listened to her podcast a little bit, Bill and I in preparation for this podcast called motherhood facing and finding yourself. And it's about reclaiming motherhood as a spiritual journey and as a hero's journey, because the honest truth, especially to the, just, especially woman to woman here, the women who are listening in the audience, um, a lot of times mothers don't think of themselves as going through um, kind of a hero's journey, but when you are sleep deprived and you look down at your body and it's been ripped in half and you don't even recognize it anymore. And you completely lose your sense of self. You completely lose your autonomy. You, when you get sleep deprived, there are thoughts that have come into my brain that have scared me that I never thought as a functioning adult before having kids that I would think. Mm. And in that moment, in the middle of the night, when your brain is just done, sometimes even, violent thoughts will start to show up in your brain and that's totally normal. And you have to choose to love that child anyway, even though it's taken your life and it's destroyed your body and your brain is, you don't even recognize the thoughts in your own brain. If that's not meeting yourself in your deepest, darkest cave, it's the if that's not a dragon worth slaying, then I don't know what is. And so part of the hero's journey that I work with, with women, particularly women who have had children, it's kind of reclaiming that even though a lot of these stories have a male perspective because patriarchy exists just kind of everywhere anyway, um, reclaiming motherhood as a kind of hero's journey too, because I've had to meet, there's this great, there's this great quote that says um, the greatest thing about not having children is that you can think that you're a good person before you have children. And it's true. Some of the darkest shadows that I've had to meet of myself place things about me that I wouldn't have known if I didn't have kids. Um, I had to meet because, you know, my nerves are on fire and I'm sleep deprived and I'm up with these kids and I've lost, I've lost my sense of self and my identity and blah, 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 blah. And, that is a place that can be an inmost cave too, of transformation too. And that hero's journey is not talked a lot about in our society. It's supposed to be, oh, become a mother. And it's like this magical bonding experience and everything is happy and beautiful. And the reality is there's some dragons and dark caves in a mother's journey. And so to reclaim that as a hero's journey, even though there are not movies where, The mother just has children and has to deal with it and becomes better. That's not modeled as a hero in our society. That's just a mom. They're supposed to do that, right? And so um, for women, I think a lot of the hero's journey is reclaiming some of motherhood being a part of this spiritual path, even though for patriarchy reasons, we like to focus on men with swords, fighting dragons and saving princesses. Um, motherhood can very much be a hero's journey too, even though it's not often modeled in our society.
2: Yeah, patriarchy's done a lot of damage in that, right? Like men men write the story about men for men to read, right? And mm-hmm. and when men, because of patriarchy, have attempted to tell a, a female, I, I think a Beauty and the Beast, which celebrates Stockholm Syndrome, it, it celebrates in slavery, um, it celebrates trauma and abuse uh, in, in the most unhealthiest of ways. <laughs> and so women lack these healthy stories. And I think we're finally getting there. We're finally getting to an age yeah. where you're seeing female characters or people of color or people of sexual orientation, uh, Wonder Woman being a great example of, of how much that story is being celebrated in the modern age. Um, we have to do a better job because the hero's journey is happening to all of us all the time. It's, Mm -hmm. it's really a, the hero's journey is a human story.
1: Right. And motherhood is, is, I think one of the hardest, if not the hardest spiritual paths to go on Uh, because you just do lose so much of yourself and you have to give so much at a time when you have the least to give, you have nothing to give. Your cup is empty. Um, You know, you have nothing, but that you have to choose to love someone anyway and there are no rewards there's no you know like magic sword that just like shows up and helps you like all these other stories and even stories like moana and elsa where there's like not a prince involved which is great it's great to have these female lead stories um there we don't have we still don't have a lot of um motherhood hero stories it's just not something it's modeled it's something that's expected And so it's this really sad moment where I see these women who um, they think that they're not spiritual because we don't have mothers of young children. You don't have time to meditate an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening to become enlightened. Um, And so they can feel like they're not spiritual, but when you have nothing left to give in the middle of the night and you choose to show up anyway, even though there is no one that notices, there are no rewards, um, and there is even a part of you that resents that child for the life that they took from you because they just take so much and you choose to show up anyway, that if that's not a hero's journey, I don't know what is, but it's really not claimed as one. And so I just really wanted to highlight that um, that motherhood can be a hero's journey and a spiritual journey, but it's often just um, not portrayed as that.
2: Yeah. Amen. Brit, that's beautiful.
1: All right. So that's it for me. Did you want to, is there anything left that really resonates with you or did you want to talk about your story as a hero's journey or anything left? Uh,
2: I you know, I think all of us should get at least a little excited about telling our story as a hero's journey. Um, I won't do that because I don't think anybody else cares a whole lot about my story, but uh, the reality is I, as I was listening to the podcast in preparation for this, as I was, Listening to each stage and going through the outline, I absolutely see very uh, direct, obvious moments in my life where it fits very much into each of those things. Uh, There was a call. There were mentors. There there was failure. There were successes. There was the the dark cave. Um, I think if each of us look at our lives, we should be able to pick out aspects of the hero's journey within it. And again, I'll just say kind of my last thought, which is we all ought to, within the hero's journey, recognize the encouragement to do something different than what the rest of the people, the culture, the society around you is doing. You should feel that nudge to take on new ideas and to wrestle with new concepts and to take on new learning, and to take advantage of a new opportunity. And yes, things can go south, sure as hell they can. But man, sometimes not doing anything seems the scariest of all.
1: Mm, and not doing anything, when we, when, I re, when we read about what people regret the most on their deathbed, it's almost never things that they did, it's almost always things that they didn't do. So I love this quote that says, you know, if you're if you're trying to kind of design your life's path and it looks exactly like someone else's, it's not it's not your path. You know, you have something to do. Everyone has something to do. It's this call from our ancestors that everyone has something to offer the community here and we are all lesser for it. If you don't go on that journey and offer it to us, we are all lesser for it. You know, we need everyone to to do this work because we need we need the gifts that other people, I need the gifts that other people have that I don't have, the journeys that they've taken that I haven't taken. I need that wisdom uh, in order to make sense of my own story, you know. And, so it's this beautiful call that we all need each other to, yeah. to do this work.
2: And and now I'm different and I'm able to pass the elixir on to my grandson. Um, it is exciting to be in a world where you, through you, through one's life and experience, through that wisdom that's gained, you now have tools to pass on to your kids or your grandkids, um, to pass on to the world by writing a book, to pass on to the world by being a social justice warrior, whatever it is. And the things that those people who are affected by that elixir, they're things that maybe you didn't have You know, my parents, I'm giving my grandkid things that my parents didn't give me and that my grandparents sure as hell didn't give me. And no offense to them. They just didn't have it. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe they gave you
1: things that their grandparents didn't give them. And they did. Amen. it's It's this call, right, all the way back into our ancestry that we have to make this better for the next Generation, And that's yeah. the part that we have to play in this larger story of humanity that, yeah. that even though, you know, maybe life doesn't go on eternally, maybe it does, but if it doesn't, we still all have a part to play. We still all can develop meaning and purpose in our lives by writing our story here.
2: The universe, whether we go on eternally or not, the universe goes on eternally and everything yes. has a ripple And so you're, you're hitting on it, which is, um, my grandparents, my grandfather, for instance, was uh, physically abusive with his kids. Mm. And my dad never laid a hand on me. And, uh, we can do nothing uh, collectively as a people, we can do nothing. We can make unhealthy choices and make the world a worse place, or we can go on the hero's journey and make the world a better place. And, Mm. uh, the call is there for everyone, isn't it? It is a call to adventure, isn't it?
1: Mm, it is, and that's a great way to like face, you know, when when you start to feel that anxiety about something into your life. Oh, there, you know, rephrasing that as a call to adventure is um, a lot better than like, oh, I'm scared and I can't do this. You know, that's just yeah. a better storyline. That's a better narrative, and so you can actually start to watch how you talk to yourself. And become a better narrative for your, narrator for your story mm. than the kind of like negative internal dialogue of like, well, I can't do that or, you know, that's not me or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you've got, whatever the negative bias is that goes on in your brain. for women, it's especially, I think there was a study that said that once every half hour, women think something negatively about their bodies. And it's like if you read your, you know, as we as women, you know, when we read our story and how much of our story, how much of our narrating of our story is, you know, comparing our bodies to what they should be because of societal expectations. That's a huge limit, right, to to the hero that we could be, the work that we could do because we, you know, society expects us to spend so much time thinking about our physical, our physical appearance and so yeah, there there is a call there. There's there's something happening here that, that's worth paying attention to. And that if you can start to integrate it into your life and and narrate your story on purpose, it can give you it, it can just give you a lot of centering and and joy when you're going through those those challenges and hard moments.
2: Yeah. So the call is there. Will you the call it? is
1: there? Yes.
2: <laughs> Anything Will else you from you? Accept
1: it. Nope. That's it for me. Just really, awesome. this was really fun. This was a really, this was a really fun dive and I'm sure we'll be referring to this conversation in the future when we have, when we have future things to dive into, but, uh, we had a lot of you stay with us for the whole, almost two hours now. So appreciate you all staying with us as we, as we did that dive.
2: Yeah. Uh, you get to be the hero in your own story. It's your turn to go on the hero's journey. Love it. Thanks, Britt, for putting that together. And that was such a fun conversation. And as you point out, I think people will benefit from that for months, if not years, if not decades to come. Yep. Have
0: a great day.
1: You too. Take it easy. Bye.
0: This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nononsensespirituality.com to meet with Certified Spiritual Director, Brittany Hartman.